It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Thank you all for joining us this week. This is a real treat for me. When Jack Nicholas stopped playing golf, I kind of had to find someone else to pull for. And since there's only one Jack Nicholas, I kind of found myself cobbling together this small group of golfers to keep me interested. And one of those golfers is Kevin Kisner. And I had the pleasure of playing with him once. And to play golf with a professional golfer is to see just how different the game is for them from the rest of us. And I played with lots of really good amateurs and I played with some pros that, you know, stayed on tour for a second, but didn't make a living doing it. And then you play with Kisner and it's just, it's a different game. However, when you talk to Kevin Kisner, he's got a lot of interests that don't have anything to do with golf. So yeah, we see them on Saturdays and Sunday afternoons on the golf course but they do have lives off the course. Uh, and I'm going to start there. They have interests just like the rest of us that don't have anything to do with what they do for a living. And my guess is just like I got tired of being asked at the grocery store about some terrible vote I cast in Congress. I'm sure Kisner gets tired of being asked, you know, to fix someone's putting. Although I'm going to ask him before this is over to fix my putting, but I'm not going to start there. Kevin, thank you for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Trey. I can't thank you enough for having me, buddy. I'm just uh, – I wish you were still casting some votes I could give you some grief about. <laughs> well, uh, and the thing I loved about you is you're very honest, and uh, the one vote I cast that was good, you were kind enough to tell me it was good, and then <laughs> the other 12,000 and something. Uh, but you, you actually follow politics. I mean, you follow pretty carefully, don't you? Yeah, Absolutely. I like to know what's going on in the world. I like to see what's uh, what people think and how those how the way people think change over time is interesting to me. And um, we all evolve, and, and so does politics. And and how it it ebbs and flows in Washington just completely gratify. I mean, just the craziest thing in the world to me. Well, I'm gonna ask you about something else. Um, that is um, much more important uh, than my putting, although at times I struggle to think of anything that is more important to me than my putting. But you and your wife, Brittany, if I'm not mistaken, uh, just made – I had to read it twice because it's a staggering amount of money that y'all just gifted a children's hospital in Georgia. Did I read that correctly? You did. We just gave our – well, we gave them a $50,000 grant to start the program to see or to start seeing kids a couple of years ago. And we saw such a huge need that uh, we wanted to start a program. And so we gave them a initial $300,000 gift to start it. And then we are pledging another $5 million to get the naming rights of the center. 
and we just gave our first million dollars last week. Did I hear you correctly? Five million dollars. That's yes, what sir. you and Brittany have, have, have pledged to give. Yes, sir. Total of 5.35 actually. All right. I got to ask you, I mean, I, I know you grew up right across the line from Georgia. I know you went to UGA. Is Brittany from Georgia? What, what, what led to your interest in, in children's health? Well, that was what our foundation was started on. Uh, Brittany's a speech pathologist. She grew up in Madison, Georgia, which is about halfway between Augusta and Atlanta on I-20. Um, and so she, I moved her to Aiken and she worked at the children's hospital in Augusta when we first started. And she would come home every day and tell me about the huge need and, and uh, lack of, of funding and, not enough workers to to keep up with demand and things that we're still seeing in 2022. Obviously, she hasn't worked in a few years as we started our own family. But I told her whenever she quit that when I got to a place or a platform that we could raise a bunch of money and and make a difference, we would. And so she has been adamant about that. And, and uh, we have some great people on our board who have pushed us with our foundation and and, uh, you know, coming from uh, giving away about $500,000 in our first four years to sign up to give away 5.3 million was a little tough for me, but uh, we did it and we got there and uh, we're rocking and rolling. Well, I, I, I hope the Lord rewards you with uh, lots and lots of wins or top 10 finishes. Cause that $5.3 million. I mean, it, it, it's, Look, well, I'm going to ask you how you grew up. I mean, I don't think you grew up rich. I think that's pretty much what, I mean, you, you got to earn that, right? You didn't inherit oh, yeah. that. No, we had to, I haven't inherited any money, but we, we, uh, we feel comfortable with uh, giving back that amount with where we started and, and where we are now. And, and hopefully the future continues to stay bright. And um, if it doesn't, we'll still be exhilarated with giving away that much money. All right, I want to ask you one more thing about that, because if I read this right, it's a program or part of what you're doing is dedicated to behavioral health and pediatric development. Number one, do I have that right? Number two, where did your interest, did that come from Brittany and speech pathology, or is there some other interest there? Well, it's also got to do with mental wellness, and I have a huge issue with the instant access with children these days with social media and cell phones and how you know, if I wanted to call you when I was a kid and you were a kid, I had to call your house and talk to your dad and your mom answered the phone and, and got you. But now our kids can write fire off anything they want to communicate to each other behind closed walls. And I think it's going to be a dramatic change in the way children come about life. And and I think the bullying and the harshness of it is going to be just hugely adversely affected on our children. And so that was kind of my arena. And then, and and when Brittany wanted to get involved with the children's hospital because she was so pleased with how, how great they've done, she reached out to them and said, we want to be your partners. We want to know where the biggest area demanded in need in children are. And we want you to do a comprehensive study and send it back to us. And, and they have some staggering data on this. And um, so this is what we felt comfortable with. And this is what we wanted to make a change in children's lives with uh, this center. And uh, I'll tell you this, I was just meeting with them before we presented the check. They've already hired their, their doctor that's coming from MUSC in Charleston, actually, to come run the program. And they are eight months out in getting an appointment. Wow. Well, you know, I, my roommate in college is a clinical psychologist. I'm trying to get him to come on my Sunday night 
show because the data on what children are going through right now, you mentioned social media, the depression rates, the suicide rates. Look, I mean, I'm a lot older than you are, but but you're still lot you're you're out of the teenage years. You're out of the twenties. I don't know what's going on, Kevin. I mean, it 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 I mean, look, we picked on one another, but well, I didn't have like ten thousand people picking on me at one time. I, I don't yeah. I, I don't know either. If we had a problem, we we did it face to face. And that's where I think the biggest difference. Now, obviously, COVID didn't help either because they were all, you know, stacked in their houses, not not having any social interaction. And, and I'm sure sending the worst things ever to each other without any consequences. Sit tight. We'll have more of this interview after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. All right, I got to ask you, I know you went to UGA. You grew up in Aiken, right? Yes, sir. Please tell me that the University of South Carolina and Clemson recruited you to play golf. Please tell me that. They did. Okay. So why'd you pick UGA? Well, you know, all my friends in Aiken, they were South Carolina and Clemson fans, you know, tough divide because their parents were affiliated with either one of the schools. And my parents went to NC State and Duke for both growing up in Charlotte. And so I didn't have any real ties to either school. And, and really, to be honest, neither school ever really, when I went there, blew me away with their facilities or where they were. And I, I pulled into Athens, Georgia on my – recruiting visit and I was completely blown away with the campus and the, the golf facilities and the golf coaches and the other players that were coming to be involved with that program. So it was a, it was an easy uh, answer for me whenever I took my visits. All right. I know you're modest. You're about the only friend I can say that about, uh, but you are <laughs> modest. There had to come a point, Kevin, when you realized, hey, I'm better than everyone else. I, I, I am good enough to make a living playing golf. I mean, it's one thing to be a good junior. It's right. another thing to be a good college player. But you're like, I mean, the last time I checked, your top 25 FedEx, President's Cup, and Ryder Cup standings. So when did you realize, you know what, I am pretty good at this? Yeah, Trey, I'd say my career has kind of been a steady climb up the mountain. Um, you know, I got better in high school, got better in college. When I got out of college, I didn't have any money. And so to, to go start playing professional golf, you got to put money up to play for money. And I'm frugal enough that that really hacked me off. You know, I'm not going to go give a thousand dollars away and kind of uh, just give it up over poor golf. So I'm going to figure out how to play really well to make more money. And I think that uh, mindset, it just continue to help my mountain climb and each week I played better and I got more uh more exposure I got more experience on, on the levels and you know eventually making it on the PGA tour where I struggled my first couple of years uh, just trying to find your footing and trying to get more comfortable but as I got more comfortable on each stage I started to excel more and more and I think that's what's the most gratifying part of my career all right. Did you play other sports growing up? I mean, I know you're a big outdoorsman. I got a ton of my friends that also claim to go hunting with you. So, I mean, did you do other things or were you just golf? No, I, I did it all. Any any uh, any ball sport there were was I played. I played soccer. I played uh, football. I played basketball. Obviously, once I got to about the tenth, ninth or tenth grade, the golf coach was the basketball coach and said. 
you know, the seasons, seasons overlap pretty well here, Kevin, and I, I think you'd be really good on that golf team. So why don't we stick with that? And that was kind of the end of, of my uh, team sports. But I, I sure do miss them. Uh, there's nothing nothing more fun than celebrating with, with teammates after working hard together to accomplish a goal. Uh, tell me what you majored in in college and why you picked it. I was a business management major. And, and to be honest, I always thought I was going to play golf and I didn't get too caught up in, in picking an exact major. And I watched what my dad did with an engineering degree. He's now building houses. Uh, you know, it was like, get something generic, get through it, get something that can get you started and you can find your footing if golf doesn't work out. If you had to do it all over again, would you pick that same major or would you, I mean, you follow current events. Would you pick history? Would you pick political science? You can't make any money in those, Trey. I'm living proof of that. (laughs) You're right. No, um, you know, I've always been fascinated with architecture. I probably might've done architecture, but um, I'm not real sure. Looking back, I feel like I could accomplish anything. Um, in the business world with my business degree. Um, I love, I love cor- uh, commercial real estate. So I'm um, trying to find some deals where you can, you can own buildings with, with tenants and making money is, is fascinating to me and, and trying to make the right decisions at the right time is fascinating. So I'm pretty content with what I picked. All right. You mentioned that you have steadily gotten better. Was there ever a moment I, I was doing a little research on your career and it looked like you played on, you know, I don't know what the tour is called now. It used to be called the Nike Tour. Corn Ferry now. Uh, Corn Ferry. Was there ever a moment when you were sitting in a hotel room, maybe you didn't make a cut or maybe you didn't play like you wanted to and you just thought, maybe I shouldn't do this? I remember missing through uh, through tour school the second year out of college. So I missed my first year out of college. And my second year, there was three stages. And if you got past the second stage, you got – uh, status on either the corn Ferry or the PGA tour guaranteed. And I played great and missed by one. And, you know, you have to wait an entire another year to do that. And I remember thinking, and, and Brittany and I were dating then, and I told her, I'm just not sure I can do it. I can go through a whole nother year of, of waiting just to put it all on that one, one way to get access to those tours. And that was a tough time for me. And I think I took about a month off and, I might have even gone and helped my dad a little bit and realized that that wasn't going to work out either. <laughs> so I, I went back to the driving range. But uh, there, there's so many ups and downs in this game. You can you can feel like you're on top of the world one week and the next week feel like you're never going to play well again. And and one thing I always will look back on is one guy, uh, one older pro out here always used to say is when you're on top, you're not playing as well as you think you are and you're not – when you're playing the worst, you're not playing nearly as bad as you think. Speaking of old pros, were there any guys on tour that were especially, we'll just go with nice to you. We won't go with guys that weren't nice to you, but were there <laughs> any guys that just went out of their way to be nice to you? Yeah, my wife actually mentioned this other night that she said that I always would bug Zach Johnson um, when I first started becoming successful and getting into major championships. And, you know, I really think that our games kind of matched up and our careers, obviously he's got a couple majors and I don't, but when I first started getting into major championships, I was always bugging him to go play and he'd always be so accommodating and take me to play anytime. Um, show me the ropes. So I, I always look, 
look up to him and and think he's a fantastic or the epitome of what a veteran PGA Tour player is. All right. I love to ask pros this question. Some of them will answer it. Some of them will not. But I know that you are very candid and, and you may not give me a name, but you will give me an answer. All right. So do you ever wake up and look at the T sheet and think, oh, my good gracious, I cannot spend five or six or eight hours in that pairing. Do you ever think that is not a good draw for me? Well, I'll give you that a few guys that play very slowly, I have a tough time with. But, uh, and I would tell this to his face, but Rory Sabatini, as much as he talks, I have to wear earmuffs while he's out there. <laughs> but he's not slow. He just talks a lot. Oh, he just talks all day. And Jordan Spieth, he, he wants to tell you or talk to his ball all day and tell you exactly what was going on. <laughs> but I tell him to his face all the time, too. And I asked his caddy. I'm always like, I hope you brought earphones today, buddy. <laughs> yeah, they he, he keeps a running dialogue with his caddy. Now, your caddy, on the other hand, if I remember correctly, and I wasn't planning on asking you about this, but I just thought about it. I think he had like a health scare or something and I don't, or it maybe got overheated and I don't recall you being like terribly sympathetic when that happened. Do I, do I have that right? He had the, uh, he had the stomach virus in uh, the player's championship this year. And um, yeah, I told everybody that I really knew something was wrong because he was slower than normal. <laughs> But he hadn't, uh, he hadn't told me before the round. It was before the final round, and we were in, you know, top ten or so, having a chance to win possibly. And um, he, he went to give me a yardage, and I noticed he wasn't feeling well. And I, I just waved up the hill to my swing coach and gave him the going to the bullpen sign. So <laughs> he, he hated it, though. He didn't want to miss out. I'm going to take a wild guess, Kevin, that you do not like slow play. I do not like slow play. I, I tell them whenever uh, we get done that I really enjoyed watching them play all day. Uh, do you know Michael Breed? I do. Michael Breed once told me fast play does not hurt golfers. Slow play does hurt good golfers. So he hates slow play. Yeah. And I, I guess, I mean, the one time, I mean, I, I've only played with you once, but but you did not stand over the ball very long. Um, so I guess it does kind of draw – I mean, you're not going to mention Kevin Na, but I will. He seems to be fairly deliberate. Well, he's he's mostly deliberate around the green – on the greens. Um, he doesn't he doesn't take overly long, but I think, you know, the problem is you guys only get to see us when we're playing well and having a chance to win. So I, I, on Thursday and Friday, I don't really have an issue with, with Kevin and the pace of his play. I think he's worked hard on it to get better at it. But um, there's a lot. Of, I mean, there, the, the, the slow play penalties are pretty harsh out here. And uh, I'll tell you one thing, that if I ever have a, uh, someone have to fill in for my caddy, they always talk about how fast the process is and how they feel like they can never catch up all day. So um, all you guys at home complaining about our slow play, I think it might be a little misleading. Well, it's not you. It may be others. And and to your point, the only ones we see on television are guys that are play are the best golfers in the world who happen to be playing the best at that time. So That's right. maybe uh, maybe I should take more time. I actually thought about you two Mondays ago. 
I was playing golf. I've only done this once. I got to play with Greg Norman and we were partners and I had a four foot putt and he said, all right, tell me what you're thinking. And I'm thinking, don't push it. Don't pull it. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. And, and the reason you went through my head is because you had, I think, a four-foot putt, maybe to win the match play or maybe to win one of your matches, and you described it as an easy little putt, I think right edge. And I'm thinking it's four feet. It means a lot. There's nothing easy about it. Is that your mindset when it comes to putting, that that's just an easy little four-foot right edge putt? Couldn't dream about an easier putt to win. So I'm guessing that, uh, well, I left this morning to go play golf. And I told my son, who's an avid golfer, he loves golf. He watches y'all all the time. I said, I'm having Kevin Gisner on my podcast tonight. And he first words out of his mouth. He's one of the best putters in the world. Yeah. And then the guy I play with today, Steve Poole, his son, Stephen Poole, yeah. played junior golf with you. One of my best buddies. Right. So your name comes up. I'm also in the group as a guy who played on tour and they both said the exact same thing. One of the best putters on, on earth. So have you always been a great putter? What makes you a great putter? Well, I'll tell you this, even to this day, my dad's 72 and he doesn't play golf ever. And I'll take him out to the golf course maybe twice a year and he still makes putts. So there might be something genetically in there. <laughs> um, but it's also, uh, I think my mindset, the way I see putts really helps me. Other guys ask me all the time, and I can just see the entire curve, which a lot of guys can't. Uh, they're having to do a lot more spot putting and speed drills. And I just, I liken it back to shooting a free throw or shooting a basketball or um, throwing a pass to you. If you're running a route, you know, I don't think about putting my arm here and how far to lead you and how fast is he running. And I don't think about I'm 17 feet from the basketball hoop here. I got to put this much power into it. It's a look and react to me. And uh, like you were talking about, don't pull it, don't push it. If you do it faster, it's a lot harder to think those things. And I just see that. I see the whole thing going in. I point and shoot. Do you ever have valleys, periods where – you're not swinging like you want to be swinging or not putting like you want to be putting. And if you do, do you think your way through it? Do you go see somebody? How, how do you get out of those periods where you're not playing up to your expectations? Well, there's two different ways to look at that. Really. You can, you can be playing poorly with bad fundamentals. Something's gotten off where you need technical help with either your putting your chipping or your ball striking, which happens a lot as your weeks progress out here because we change venues every week. So one course may be long and one course may be windy and one course may be soft or firm. So we react to those conditions all the time. And after you do that for, you know, three, four weeks in a row, you can technically get off and you need someone that knows how to get you back on. Now, there are also times where you're playing well and you're doing everything fundamentally correct and it's just not working. You can drive it down the middle. It can kick left and roll in a bunker. You can make a double. I can hit the same putt three times on a hole in a practice round and it go in once and whip out twice. So the weeks that it's going in, it's great. And the weeks that your ball's hitting a tree and kicking out in the fairway, it's quite great. And you're just trying to always get the most out of either side of that. I'm Trey Gowdy and we'll have more coming up. 
All right. Walk us through a normal week for a, a an elite golfer on the PGA Tour. So do you do anything on Monday? So I'm, I'm actually playing this week. I'm in Texas. I flew out here Monday because I had a photo shoot. But normally I fly in Monday night or Tuesday morning. I play nine holes on Tuesday and nine holes in the Pro-Am on Wednesday. And that way I kind of build up each day of the week. And, and Tuesday's lighter than Wednesday normally. Wednesday, I get there a couple hours before the pro-am to do practice um, and then obviously have the pro-am. And then it, on Thursday, Friday, it's, uh, it's go time. So um, two hours before tea time, no matter what it is, I get to the course to get my body prepared and, and fed and get ready to go that way on the practice facility every day. So the 7.56 tea time, I'm rolling in at 5.56, waking up at 5.15 or something. Now you say photo shoot. Are are you also a model? I did not. Yeah, I did man. not read that in the bio. Did you not see how good I look on you? <laughs> I did, but you usually have a hat on, and it <laughs> kind of fools you a little bit sometimes. No, uh, one of my partners here in Texas, Omni, actually, um, this is where they're headquartered. So it made sense for me to fly out and 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 do some uh, social media stuff for them. That's the new game, Trey, is social media. I mean, you do have a presence on Twitter, right? I mean, you, you, I do. You, yes, absolutely. Do you like it? I mean, do you think it's constructive for the for the culture? I do not. I do you not. do it because you have to. Yeah, I, I, there's so many. Well, it's fun when people, but the the keyboard warriors, you know, it's just comical of how what people think they can say behind a keyboard that they would never say to you in person. Yeah, I, I, I'm not on it. I, I, I watch these guys on the floor of the house, Kevin, and they would spend all their time looking for comments from people who've never met them and don't know them. And I just, right. I don't know why we should care. Right. I mean, if, I want to be better. Get caught up in, if you get caught up in caring about those, then you're going to have a terrible time on there. All right. Well, I don't want to make social media, so I'm going to phrase this in a very polite way. You you mentioned at least one pro-am. Or is there one pro-am a week or two pro-ams? Well, they have a Monday, too, but they uh, normally that's for guys that they pay the pros to play in that one. So that's normally for guys that are rookies or trying to get more time on the golf course for practice rounds that are not generally in the Wednesday pro-am. Do you have any say-so over who your amateur partner is? I do not. And if you were to give just a generic piece of advice to amateurs that are playing with pros, uh, I mean, I'm guessing at the top of your list of things you don't like is, hey, Kevin, what am I doing wrong while you're trying to prepare for a tournament? Is that up there near the top? I, I generally do not give advice at all day unless the guy can literally not find his ball after he hits it. Or if you do, you give advice close to the end. So if it screws them up more, it's just over with. <laughs> but I, the, the things tour players like are when you pick your ball up when you're out of the hole. So when I don't plumb Bob my putt for 13? Right. All, all I, of, okay. All right. That makes me happy. And you can pick up from 200 yards. Amateurs <laughs> will not pick a ball up till it's on the green. I'm like, dude, you could have picked that up an hour ago. <laughs> now – do you have to play in those or do you want, I mean, is it required? Yeah, it's mandatory. If you're in it, you can get, you can either work out a deal with the, the title sponsor early, a couple weeks early to try to uh, do something different for them, but you have to give the title sponsor some sort of commitment for being in the pro-am. Okay. 
All right. Um, your PGA commissioner for one day, because I know that you would resign because you, you would not do it for more than one day. Is there something you would change about, or I'm not going to make you PGA tour. I'm going to make you the head of the USGA. Is there a rule you would change? Is there something you would change if you could? Divots and fairways. If I stripe a drive down the middle, I shouldn't have to play from somewhere that someone else hit. Is there any momentum behind that? Because I think you're exactly right. I, it's, I, I feel so sorry for you guys. I'm watching your ball on television. You hit a beautiful drive, and it rolls in to either a filled-in or not filled-in divot. It just sure. seems so punitive. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any uh, momentum behind it. But uh, I've, watched, I've watched some of the worst breaks ever happen from that. Um, to hit a shot exactly like you want to and to be penalized seems tough. But there's a lot of there's a lot of that in golf. So, yeah, your ball can hit a tree and bounce left in the fairway or right out of bounds. But I don't know the divot between that and bunkers. That that the longer you hit the ball, the closer you are to the lip. I've never understood that either. They penalize you for hitting the drive farther, and you get closer to the lip and have no shot. So, <laughs> I don't. Uh, do you still get nervous? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I've never been able to qualify what is nervous. I get anxious. I'm ready to go. I want to do things faster. So I would say that's nervous. But nervous to me is like pain. You know, I can get hit with the same thing you can get hit. And it may not hurt you and it hurts me. So I don't really know how to quantify uh, nerves or anxiety or anxiousness. It's all the same in my book. I like, I like it, though. That's what I want to get into. I want to see how I react. I, I know you won – how many world match – how many times have you won the match play? I've only won once, but I've finished twice two times. I mean, I've finished second twice. So what makes you such a good match play player? Because it's just one-on-one, and it's not me against the field. I feel like I can react and do things to affect the momentum or affect the mental game part of it as much as any other person in the world. And I feel pretty confident I'm good at that. Whereas in a 72-hole, 156-man field, I can't affect what you're doing as easily for four days. All right. I watched a clip of you. I think it's been in the past 48 hours. You were in a team tournament, and you were chipping, and it hit the flag and dropped in. Do you remember that tournament? I do, Yes. So my question to you is how far past the hole would that ball have gone and did it crack the flag stick? Cause it looked like it had a lot of pace on it when it hit the flag. I'm almost positive. It would have gone in the water tray if it didn't <laughs> hit the flag. Um, but it was also a team event. My partner was already in there for birdie and we had to make Eagle to get into a playoff. And you made it. Made you made it. it. But uh, still lost the playoff. Well, I, I mean, that's okay. The only way to lose a playoff, Kevin, is to be in the playoff. You're right about that, buddy. Team events. I want to see you on the President's Cup team. I Me see too, you. and you're coming if I'm there. So, you're, you're – I, I checked. If I'm not mistaken, you're number two in Ryder Cup standing right now. Are you not? Probably close to it. I haven't checked. All right, well, I checked for you. <laughs> uh, behind some guy named – Scoffler, Scoffler, some 
I don't know who number some other guy is number one. I think he may have played at Texas. Scheffler, <laughs> you're number two. You're what's the cutoff for President's Cup? What do you have to be to be an automatic pick? I think it's six and six now. I think they've got six picks instead of four now. All right. So you're you're close there. You're top twenty five FedEx. So and maybe you're not the right guy to ask. Maybe I should ask the President's Cup captain. But if you're one of the best putters in the world and you're one of the best match play players in the world, why is Kevin Kisner not one of your picks? Well, they love to do recent form. They want to get the hot players. And I totally agree with that because it's it's a lot easier to get 12 guys playing that are all playing well to win. Um and I haven't played great leading up to the events in the past couple of years, but it's also venue based. I think a lot of it is venue based. And if the golf course suits your game, if they're all at Beth page black, I'm probably never going to be a pick. If they're all at Hilton head or colonial or uh, TBC river highlands in, in Connecticut, then I could be a pick every year. So I think those are the biggest, biggest uh, difference are the biggest keys in making the picks. All right, when will you find out who you're paired with? So you're playing in the Byron Nelson, and then you got the PGA the week after that, right? Correct. Uh, We've already got our tee times. Do you got a, a morning or afternoon? Do you like it? Um, it doesn't matter. You got to get one of each. If you, The only times it, it stinks is when there's a big difference in scoring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big difference in scoring, it stinks. All right, when you stop playing golf, what if you do, I mean, you can play on the senior tour if that's what you want to do, but if you stop playing golf, what would you do? I don't know. I've been asked that. Um, maybe get into broadcasting, uh, maybe just hang out and hang out with my kids. I'll do something. I'm going to figure out a way to generate revenue and uh, have, have somewhere to go to have a job. I'm not going to sit around the house, but I think there's some viable options. Would you ever run for office? Because I know you follow current events, and I know I, I, I know you keep up with that stuff. Would you ever run for office? I think it would be too time-consuming. I remember you- telling me about flying middle seat United flight to Greenville Spartanburg <laughs> on Friday nights. Yeah, that's being in the House. Yeah. Being in the Senate, if Lindsey Graham plays more rounds of golf each year than you do, <laughs> and you're on tour, so – <laughs> run for the Senate. You'll play more golf as a United States Senator than you do on the tour right now. So think about that. Especially when Trump was president, he'd take you to play golf every four days a week. Uh, he played today with a friend of mine named John Ratcliffe, I think at Dallas national. So right. um, one of these days, do you know, John, have you met John? I don't think so, but I've seen his name. I would love to bring him down to play with you, although you probably get, I mean, you probably got your own foursome. You get tired of people showing up at your place. No, you're you're welcome anytime, buddy. All right. Last thing, I want to finish the same way we started with your foundation. I don't want to tell folks listening, look, if you like people that break clubs and and yell at rules officials and all that stuff, you're probably not going to like Kevin Kisner. If you, if, 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 if you, if that's what you're looking for, you're probably not going to like Kevin Kisner, but if you like a guy who decides with his wife to put $5 million into helping children, then I would encourage you to do like I do and pull for him when you see him on television. 
So Kevin, I can't thank you enough. Uh, I, it's all I can do to not ask you for help with my putting. So what I'm going to do instead, cause you're about two hours away from me, I'm going to go hop in my truck. I should be there. <laughs> I'll have a lantern. So I'll just meet you on the putting green. But from what I hear you saying, it's, it's more mental than anything else. So I need to go see a psychiatrist, right? I'll give you one tip on the way out. Give me I one. Want, I want you to practice with your thumbs off the putters, Mar. So you My can't thumbs. use your, you can't use your thumbs on the grip when you grip the putter. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna practice that, and if it works, I'll send you a percentage of my winnings. Okay. <laughs> all right. Tell, tell Good all luck the to you. There. Good luck to you, and I can't wait to see you on the Presidents Cup team. Thank you, Kevin Kisner. Thanks, Trey. Take care. See you, buddy. Thank you all for joining us. I'm serious. If you're looking for somebody to pull for. Wonderful guy. He just almost sounds like one of us, other than the fact that he can play golf a lot better than I can and putt a lot better than I can. But Kevin Kisner, look for him, hopefully on the President's Cup team this fall. Y'all take care. Have a great week. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.